So the Bible starts almost in a fog, right? I know what you're thinking. You're like, no, no, that's how most of your sermons start. <clears throat> the Bible starts almost in a fog. And, and, and through the mist, you can see history and you can see poetry, but they have a hard time sometimes telling the difference. You with me, right? I mean, and that's, I think that's fair. I've been thinking of it like uh, red and blue Play-Doh, right? So you got red Play-Doh, you got blue Play-Doh, and as long as you don't get it in the carpet, your mom's okay. But the problem with having multiple colors of Play-Doh is the longer you play with them, the harder it is to tell the difference between what was red and what was blue. Like history is something that happened, and poetry is something that happened in the mind of the author. Doesn't mean it didn't happen, it just... So, so, and so the Bible starts, and it's this, and it's this, it's this, it's this mashup of, of history and poetry, and it's that way for Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 and 5, but then all of a sudden something happens when you get to the start of sort of uh, around chapter 12, and the Bible sort of, sort of stands at attention. And it sort of starts to straighten up, and, and what you get crystal clear is that, is that, is that, the history becomes easier to follow because God has now pointed his focus and his vision on a man and a woman, Abraham and Sarah. Like a lot of people in the early parts of the Bible, or even later in the parts of the Bible, they start off with different names. Their names change, which is confusing uh, for some folks because their names change to something completely different. Abram became Abraham, and Sarai became Sarah. So they're kind of easy. And so, uh, and so they have... Um, Abram had had a child earlier. His name's Ishmael. He goes off, um, but they have together one child, Isaac. And so, so in Genesis 12, the story start of, sort of gets in line, and it starts moving forward one story, one generation after another. This is the way the Bible starts, right? And so, and so there's Isaac, and uh, he marries uh, Rebekah, and together they have two children, um, one is named Jacob, and the other is named Esau. You with me? You know the story? Yeah. And so, uh, and so they have a thing, and they have some really great stories about their sort of sibling rivalry, which is really, you know, fostered by some of the things that, um, that Isaac and Rebekah do. And then, and, then, and then Esau sort of goes off, like Ishmael goes off. He sort of goes off, and now the story is down to the level of Jacob which is where we are this morning. I tell you all this to get us caught up. We're with the story of Jacob. I need to say one more thing. Jacob is one of those whose, names, whose name changes, but they don't stick with the new name. They go back and forth between the old name and the new name and the new name and the old name. He's Jacob in one verse, and then he's Israel in the very next verse. This is the beginning of the people. He's considered the patriarch of the Israelites, and in case you don't know who the Israelites are, Israelites are the Israelites later on are called Hebrews, and they're later on called Jews because the Hebrews occupy uh, uh, the former Judea, right? So this is who we're talking about. This is the story, and it goes like this. It goes like this. So I'm going to turn to Genesis 37, and I'm going to take my glasses off so I can no longer see your face, but I can see the words. <clears throat> it says this. Jacob grandson Abraham, who had a promise made to him that one day they would occupy 
this promised land. It says Jacob lived in the land of Canaan where his father was an immigrant. So it says that they're not yet there. Promise hadn't been fulfilled. It's still a work in progress. This is the account of Jacob's descendants. All right? So we're going to tell you the family tree. But if you're going to tell the family tree, you'd start with who? You'd start with, you'd start with the oldest son, right? See, because Jacob has 12 sons. Jacob has 12 sons. He's actually had them by four different women, which is quite a story. We can't tell the whole thing today, but, uh, but he was in love with a girl. He couldn't have the girl because the father of the girl didn't want him to have the girl, so the father instead gave him the sister. He ended up getting the girl, and, and, and neither one of them could produce children for him, although you begin to wonder maybe... Anyway, um, you with me? Um, and then so instead, and so instead, the sisters in comp- competitive rivalry with each other, because it's not just brothers that have rivalry, give Abram, excuse me, give Jacob uh, their maidservants. He's got 12 sons. All this happened, by the way. You're thinking, you've made that up. You've been watching reality television again, preacher, right? I mean, like, that sounds like sister somethings or something like that. Um, I'm not making this up. There are 12 boys by four women. And, it, and the Bible says, I'm going to tell you the family tree. And then it says, Joseph. And you're like, well, hold on. Joseph wasn't the firstborn. Well, now you'll see why it begins with Joseph. Joseph was 17 years old and tended the flock with his brothers, which is, is, is a term for brothers or stepbrothers. While he was helping the sons of Bilhah and Zilphah, those are the sons of his father who were born by the maidservants of his mother and his mother's sister, his father's wives. Joseph told their father unflattering things about them. All right? So I'm going to give you a theological term. You can all go and say you've been to a fancy class this morning. There's a theological term that you learn in seminary for someone who does that. It's three letters, right? It starts with R and it rhymes with rat. Okay, I'm kidding. It wasn't a theological term. Joseph's a rat. What's he do to his brothers, stepbrothers? He tells on them. I mean, and and the thing is, it might have been true, I mean, it probably was. It probably was true. They probably were sorry. They were probably slacking off on the job. They were probably somewhere else while they left him, the younger brother, to do the work. But, but right out of the gate, Joseph is a tattletale. Now, it goes on. Now, Israel, who is also Jacob, the father. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Because he was born when Jacob was old. It leaves out the fact that he was also born to Jacob's favorite girl, right? Jacob made for Joseph a long robe. Now, there's an entire different sermon that could be preached here. It has to do with parents playing favorites. I mean, it's, it's one thing to like this child more than another on this day. I mean, it's one thing to like this child more than another for a couple of days or for even for a month or even a season. Sometimes children bring that out in us parents, right? Right? I'm not sure it's okay to let people know it. I mean, if you think about it, if you think about it, 
this, this passage probably wasn't written down for a few hundred years. I mean, this passage was probably finally written down by someone who had, wasn't even close to having ever known Jacob. And yet, 300, 400, 500 years later, what do they know? They know that he played favorites with his kids. Not only did he play favorites, but he gave Joseph this coat. Here it says, it says long robe in the common English version, but, but you might have a translation that calls it something different. When the story's retold on Broadway, what's it called? You know the story. Yeah, it's Joseph in the amazing Technicolor dream coat. That's this story. That's this story. Karen's going to get up and sing us all the songs from the Broadway show. Were there songs in it? I've never seen it. There were songs? Okay. Okay. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of his brothers, they hated him and couldn't even talk nicely to him. All right, so we're, we're like four verses in. And, and Joseph has done some things that are questionable, and Jacob, the father, has done some things that are questionable, and the brothers at this point seem to be the ones that are pretty rational, right? They're getting sort of left behind, and they don't like it, and that seems to be pretty fair. Are you with me? Right? But then, then the story keeps going. It says, Joseph had a dream and told it to his brothers. It's okay to dream. I don't know you have to tell them. It says, which made them hate him even more. Verse 6, he said to them, listen to this dream I had. When we were binding stalks of grain in the field, my stalk got up and stood upright, while your stalks gathered around it and bowed down to my stalk. His brothers said to him, will you really be our king and rule over us? So they hated him even more because of the dreams he told them. Verse 9, Joseph had another dream and described it to his brothers. I've just dreamed again, and this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Okay, so he has one dream, right? And it's of God. I don't want to give away the rest of the story, but the dream is of God. But then he tells his brothers the dream. And he probably knew how they were going to react, and they didn't like it. You're starting to begin to wonder, this Joseph character. Ah. But he has another dream. Same outcome. He tells his brothers, and they don't like it. At this point, you go, boy, can't, don't you learn? But he doesn't stop there. The next verse says, the second dream when he described it to his father. So, so let, me, let me explain this. So he's had a dream. In the dream, he turns out to be pretty good, and he apparently can't tell enough people about it. He tells his brothers. Now he's telling his father. His father scolded him and said to him, what kind of dreams have you dreamed? Am I and your mother, which is pretty interesting because she's already passed away, Am I and your mother and your brother supposed to come and bow down to the ground in front of you? And he says, his brothers were jealous of him, but his father took note of the matter. This is the word of God for we, the people of God, and we say together, thanks be to God. So, so Joseph rats out his stepbrothers, and maybe they deserved it, and so maybe we'll give him a pass, right? 
And he gets this, he, he, I mean, he's the favorite of his, of his dad, and he gets, this, he gets this multicolored garment kind of robe, kind of piece of clothing, uh, coat. Later on in the story, we realize that, that he never takes it off. I mean, he's 17 years old, which is actually a full-grown adult at that point. He's 17 years old, and maybe he can't help it that his dad is playing favorites, but, but do you have to wear it all the time? And, and if that's not enough, and that's not enough, he has one dream, and he tells it to his brothers. And then he has a second dream, and he tells it to his brothers and his father. And who, who knows who else? I mean, if it were one thing, if it were one thing... I, we'd give him a pass. If it were, if it were two things, we'd, 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 we'd probably say, well, he's young. But at this point, there's a word, there's a word to describe Joseph. I, I know what you're thinking. You can't say that word. Okay, there's a word to describe Joseph. He's arrogant. I mean, he's arrogant. About a month or so ago, we were, uh, we were, t- we were talking as a staff, um, a few of us were talking about what sermons, what sermons to preach next, and, and I was literally not in the room, and I came back, and Jesse says, Matt knows what you should preach about, and I was like, all right, cool. I was like, all right, and they said, yeah, you should preach about how, how there are people in the world that are not nice. And then he used a word to describe them. And I was like, I can't say that word. It wasn't a, well, it was a bad word, but it wasn't a bad, bad word. You know, it was like the in-between kind of word, but the preacher can't say it in church. And so, um, so, and like, you shouldn't say it either, I'm just saying. But, so we ended up adapting it, and we're calling it, Some People Stink. Because the truth is, they do, Right? I mean, some people are arrogant. Merriam-Webster describes it as having an insulting attitude, right, that, that, that puts on that you are better, smarter, and more important than other people. Arrogant is putting off the vibe or doing the thing or saying the words that imply that you think you are better, smarter, more important, right? Better, smarter, more important. Better, smarter, more important. At this point, what's Joseph think about himself? Hold on, hold on. What what does he think about himself as he wears his coat? All right, something happened in 2009, and, and probably a number of you don't remember it, didn't see it when it happened, but I'd like to show it as a clip. I'd like to show it as a clip. So um, let's cue up. Let's cue up this from 2009. Thank you so much. to maybe win one of these someday, but I never actually thought that would happen. Uh, I sing country music, so thank you so much for giving me a chance to win a VMA award. I, 
I'm really happy for you. I'm let you finish. But Beyonce had one of the best videos of all time. One of the best videos of all time. So um, so there's this TV channel that has a funny name. It's called um, Music Television or MTV, and um, it's it's fu it's funny because um, uh, well I remember and this is going to show my age. I remember when Music Television um, MTV actually showed music on television, right? They um, they actually would show videos. And um, the crazy thing is, still today, in 2009 and even in 2016, they have this award show where they give awards for videos, which now they no longer show on their channel because all they show is really terrible content and stupid shows. Um, so MTV has this award show, and in 2009, she's still a baby. She'd never won one before, and Taylor Swift wins an award. And so you saw it, right? You just saw it. How many people remember this story? Anybody remember this story? Yes. You guys are amazing. Yes, yes. Because you all are listening to Kanye when you get in your car to drive home today, right? No, it's okay. It's okay if you don't know what I'm talking about. So, so 2009, she wins the award. Compare and contrast. She gets up on the stage. What does she say? Thank you. I, I'm humbled. I never imagined. This, this is something I dreamed of. I never imagined. And then the camera pans away. And then when it comes back, Kanye West is standing there. And he's not supposed to be there. You can tell that from her face, which has gotten whiter than it previously was. And she's scared to death, going, what's he about to say and what's he about to do? And all he does is take the microphone when he's not supposed to have it and say, this award, you're not supposed to have it, she should. And then he goes on and basically says, even though I'm not supposed to be here right now talking, I have opinions about how this award was selected. And I don't think that the judges did as good a job as they could have. And I think the whole process is not right. I think the system's rigged. He steals the microphone and says, I'm better and smarter and more important. So I'm not beating up on Kanye West, but in that moment, what was he? He was arrogant. Technically, since 2009, he is still arrogant. Okay, um, that, that, I, don't, I don't know if you know that. I don't know if you know that. Um, I don't know if you know that, but uh, what do you do with arrogant people? Now, I, now, and I don't have a long time, I don't have a long time, and I've still got a lot more to do, but hang with me. So, so here's the thing. So I, I asked my wife, and I don't do this every week, um, but I asked my wife, I was, we're driving down the road, and she's sitting in the front seat, and I'm driving, and I said, so don't tell me their names, but tell me who you know in your life, in the past, right, that's been arrogant. Like when I say arrogant person, who comes to your mind? She thinks about it, and, and I'm, I'm driving down the road, and she's quiet, and I'm quiet, and I'm thinking about it. I'm really thinking about it. And I, man. So fast forward a couple days later, 
uh, I'm up in the office, and Jesse Marlowe is here, and her husband Jason is here, and I stop them both, and I said, help me with this, because Julie and I, who do you know? Don't give me names, but give me the characteristics of people who are arrogant. And and the thing is, like, we didn't want to say anybody's name. Julie, myself, Jesse, Jason, like, we... Like, we actually didn't name anybody. And I think that's because arrogant is such a bad word. Like, you can, you can say that I'm all kinds of things, but don't say I'm arrogant. And, and I might think all kinds of things about you, but I don't want to say you're arrogant. So I think on one level, it's like a bad word. But on another level, and this is, I think this is really true, a lot of the people that I've known in the past that were arrogant grew out of it. Because the truth is, arrogance is just immaturity. I mean, um, it really is better, smarter, more important. How much does that sound like an 18-month-old? Or a 6-year-old? Or a 12-year-old? How much does better, smarter, more important sound like an 18-year-old? Or... I mean, I mean, there are people in our lives that, that, that we work with. Maybe we work for, maybe they work for, uh, whatever. You know, there, there are people in our lives that, that, that we are related to, and they don't necessarily live in town with us anymore. And they, you know, there are people in our lives that, that, that are related to us, that live in our houses. Maybe you're trying to raise them. Who, from time to time, think they're better, smarter, more important. And the question is, what do you do with them? How do you... See, because the Bible isn't just about stories that you go, hmm, so that guy was an arrogant person. No, 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 the Bible is, okay, so there are arrogant people in the world. How does God want me to respond? And this is, this is what the story says, Okay? I'm going to read it fast with with very little commentary because I don't need to explain it much. Joseph's brothers, 37 verse 12. Joseph's brothers went to tend their flocks near Shechem. Israel said to Joseph, aren't your brothers tending the sheep near Shechem? Come, I'll send you to them. And he said, I'm ready. Jacob said to him, go, find out how your brothers are and how the flock is and report back to me. So Jacob sent him to the Hebron Valley. When he approached Shechem, a man found him wandering in the field and asked him, what are you looking for? Joseph said, I'm looking for my brothers. Tell me, where are they tending the sheep? The man said, they left here. I heard them saying, let's go to Dothan in South Alabama. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. They said, they saw Joseph, all right, get this, They saw Joseph in the distance before he got close to them. How could they pick him out, by the way? (laughs) Blasted coat. And they plotted to kill him. Okay, what? I've got a brother. They plotted to kill him. The brothers said to each other, Here comes the big dreamer. Come on now, let's kill him and throw him into one of the cisterns. We'll say a wild animal devoured him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. Now, these are 11 brothers. Reuben, the first hero of the whole chapter, speaks up and says, Whoa, let's not take his life. 
He goes on and says, don't spill his blood. Throw him into this desert cistern, but don't lay a hand on him. He intended to save Joseph from them and take him back to his father. But Joseph reached his brothers. They stripped off Joseph. Excuse me. When Joseph reached his brothers, they stripped off Joseph's long robe. You better believe that was the first thing that was coming off, right? They took him and they threw him into the cistern, an empty cistern with no water in it. When they sat down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites, which actually makes them their cousins, coming from Gilead with camels carrying sweet resin and medicinal resin and fragrant resin on their way down to Egypt. And Judah says, Judah's a leader, he stands up and says, Brothers, what do we gain if we kill our brother and hide his blood? So for just a second, you're like, whoa, 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 he's going to be a hero also. He's like, no, let's don't kill him and not make any money off of it. Let's sell him off. Come on, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let's not harm him because he's our brother. He's our family. Just when you have the awe moment, you realize, no, it's not awe. It's better. Let's make money off of him. Now, I've read this so many times, and I'm finally starting to realize, make sense of it. And, and the most sense I can make of it is, it's confusing. Pay attention to these few verses. It's confusing. So the brothers wanted to kill him, but then they stopped from killing him, so then they were going to just do something with him, and then, and then, it, and then instead it's, look, we're going to sell him off into slavery to the Ishmaelites we can see coming, right, from a distance. But then the very next verse says, when some Midianite traders passed by, they pulled Joseph up out of the cistern. So, was it the brothers or the traders that did it? Because we don't know from the pronoun. It says, they sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph to Egypt. The best I can tell is it's confusing because we're not supposed to know how it turns out. Not yet. Best I can tell is it's confusing because the brothers who hatched a plan, which shall we call something of an overreaction? I mean, I don't don't know about you. If your brother is arrogant, don't kill him. I'm I'm talking back there, okay. Okay. If you, I mean, if you've got a sibling that thinks they're better, smarter, more important, don't kill them. And maybe the word is, not only don't kill them, but, but be careful. Because what you mean one way sometimes turns out another way. They don't even know where he is now. And they've sold him into slavery. So if the if the response to arrogant people is not faking your brother's death and selling him into slavery, what is it? And I think the answer I think the answer is the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5 says that the fruits of the spirit are love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What do you do? What do you do with the person in your life who thinks they're better, smarter, more important? What do you do with that person? 
You love them. You, you point them to joy. You treat them with kindness. You offer them gentleness. What do you do with a person that's arrogant? You love them. And, and here's the last thing. Here's the last thing. The exercise, and I don't normally talk about how I put together a sermon, but the exercise of talking to Julie and then talking to Jesse and then talking to Jason and then really just pouring in it myself, I think I realized that I'm not quick to name, none of us are quick to name people who are arrogant because everybody's arrogant. And if everybody's arrogant, who's on the list? I mean, how many times this week would somebody say, Scott, just now, thinks he's better, smarter, more important? Or just the other day? Or I mean, how many of us look back and go, there was an entire season in which I thought I knew so much more than I did, and now I look back and I go, I knew nothing. I mean, the reason I don't want to ask the question and, and struggle to answer about arrogant people in my life is because I mean, when you go and preach a sermon series that says some people stink, who are we really talking about? Let's pray. Lord, forgive us when we are Joseph. When we, when we think we're better or smarter or more important, when, forgive us, Lord, when we jump up on the stage and grab the microphone and say, it's not you, it's me. For, forgive us. Forgive us, Lord, when, when someone's done that and we overreact and we think, I'd rather they be dead. Or, or, or how can I make money off of making them disappear? Forgive us when we overreact. And Lord, heal us by your Spirit that we would live with love and peace and joy. And for the people in our lives who are struggling to grow up a little bit, Lord, Help us to live with self-control. And help us to point them in a better way with kindness and gentleness. Lord, this is our prayer. And we pray it in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen and amen.